0: Again, we are pleased to have Jay and Melissa Erickson with us today as, as uh, with our other missionaries already mentioned. Um, but looking forward to having Jay open God's word for us now and I wanted to take a moment even though I uh, don't need to introduce them again to to uh, highlight specifically that in our special offering the uh, significant portion of this will be going toward a special project in the work that the Erickson's are doing. And uh, in case you weren't in our uh, the Sunday school hour as they're uh, in some sense redirecting uh, their ministry in a new, a new area a new phase of ministry in church planting in rural villages uh, a need that they have has been to raise funds to help uh, not only uh, cover their own support which is what we uh, give toward every time again our, our regular giving uh, weekly offerings go toward that support but they're raising special funds for uh, bringing uh, local uh, believers onto the team. So those who live nationally in Central Asia in their communities that help, can help partner with them to do the work of seeing new churches planted in rural villages um, to help supply that, uh, that, those monies to bring those on staff. That's what your gifts will be going uh, for as we give our special offering. Uh, $15,000 has been our prayer goal. Um, We're praying for that. Uh, We have not twisted anybody's arms. We're laying that before the Lord and before you, and we're just going to see what God does. $15,000 for that. We're also um, taking a significant portion, $14,000 for um, uh, putting a new roof on the CE Center, our building across the street, offices and Sunday school rooms. And then we've uh, also contributed to the Pinecrest Employee Appreciation Fund in the amount of $1,000 um, as we wanted to just um, make that expression from our church to uh, appreciate those who are working there, with w- which we have not only, of course, uh, Farrell Labash in the leadership there, but I know uh, Brittany is, uh, I think I saw here somewhere, is working there, and I think do we have some others who are working at Pinecrest these days? Um, thankful for the... the uh, the ministry that they're doing there as well. So, um, Jay, would you come and bring God's word? Uh, thank you again for your work. Thank you for the uh, service that that you, as a couple, have given since the late '90s. We've supported them as a church since 2009. Been a wonderful relationship yeah. partnership. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Pastor Bruce. Let's see if I can get this going. That's great. So. It is uh, our pleasure. My, with my, I'm here with my wife, Melissa. It's our pleasure to be here after serving for 22 years in Central Asia. Here, the church in Mount Morris have partnered with us in this ministry since 2009. So we want to thank you for that partnership over these years. You'll see in this picture our two sons as well, Ethan and Cade. Ethan's a sophomore at Purdue University and Cade's a freshman at at Calvin, so they're not with us today. Um, but uh, one thing we've always enjoyed in Central Asia, let's see if I can, so maybe we can move to the next slide, is uh, going hiking in the mountains. There's a lot of mountains there, and we would take our boys out almost every month when the weather committed to hike in these wonderful mountains. And and like all good fathers, I thought, oh, what are some of the essential skills I need to pass on to my children? So building a good fire, you know, that's something that, that every little boy needs to know how to do. And probably equally as important, how do you put that fire out? <laughs> how do you control it and put it out? And, uh, and so this was a, a, an essential skill that I felt I needed to pass on to my kids. And it kind <clears> of <throat> prompts the, the question for us today, what is so important in your life that you want to make sure you pass it on to the next generation? What are we passing on from one generation to the next? And I want us to be thinking about that as we listen to God's word in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. Uh, in the pew Bible I have, that's on page 347, and I'm going to be reading um, from chapter 16, starting in verse 8. But the context of this is David is at the, the pinnacle of his career. He has subdued all of his enemies, uh, all, all the enemies the Philistines and the nations around them, all the internal enemies, his, his competition with King Saul and uniting uh, the tribes of Israel behind him. And he is bringing the ark of the covenant into Jerusalem at this moment. Just try to imagine what that would feel like emotionally as a Jewish person. You're standing there in Jerusalem, the capital of your people, of your nation. Maybe like a presidential inauguration if your particular favorite candidate won. <laughs> and, and you're like, oh yes, this is happening. The kingdom is here. And so for David, this is the the sort of emotional uh, fervor that he is speaking into. And I want you to listen to what David highlights in this uh, text a thousand years before Jesus ever came, as God was, through the Holy Spirit, speaking through David what his plan for the world is thousands of years ago. So 1 Chronicles chapter 16, starting in verse 8. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Israel, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant he made with Abraham, His sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. Do we understand the weight of these words? How important it is to God's heart that from one generation to the next, his command is passed on. That is at the core of God's heart. That his covenant, his command is passed on from one generation to the next. Let's look at that again in First Chronicles 16, verse 15. Remember his covenant forever, the word he commanded for a thousand generations. So the word remember in the Bible Often is used to bring something to mind, and to act upon it. So, for example, when Noah was caught up in the flood, it says that God remembered him. Well, that just wasn't just a kind act of God of like, oh, well, that's, yeah, I see you out there, Noah. Yeah, I know there's no land left. When God remembered Noah, He acted to, re- to push back the waters so that Noah and his descendants could live. And so in in this way, when we remember God's covenant, it is meant to bring it to mind and for us to act upon it. Well, what is this covenant? So I I have a homework assignment for you uh, because we're in the Old Testament, and obviously this passage that we read is all about God's covenant in the time of David. Well, that included the covenant he made with Noah, with Abraham, with Moses. Those are all great covenants. So your homework assignment is to understand how does that relate to me as a 21st century follower of Jesus? That's an important question. I don't have time to to dive in that today. Uh, just suffice it to say it does have meaning for us. And in Jesus Christ all of those covenants are ours. We get to share in those covenants. And yet, we live under the new covenant. What is the covenant that we live under? Well, Hebrews chapter eight, if we go to the next slide, uh, in chapter eight, it describes this new covenant powerfully. And this was a quote from the book of Jeremiah talking about the new covenant. And in Hebrews eight, verses 10 through 12, this is what, And I will remember their sins no more. Well, the next slide, you'll see a a picture of a good friend of mine. His name is Jamshed. He's the one with the white ball cap. Uh, If you were in Sunday school, he is the son of Holakulika, who was the cotton slash soybean farmer that I worked with in a village. And while I was working with Holakulika, his son Jamshed was studying at the university in the capital, Dushanbe, where we lived. So uh, during evenings, when I would be at home, I would invite Jomshed over, and we would study the Bible together. So going through passages, starting in creation, through the life of Christ, and towards the end of this progression, we were talking about the story in Acts 10, where Peter goes and proclaims the gospel to the householder, of Cornelius and i had jamshed read that passage for himself and i will never forget him holding the bible reading this passage and it comes to the last verse which says all of the prophets testify that whoever believes in the name of jesus christ will receive forgiveness of our sins and jamshed's eyes just popped out and he's like this is saying that my sins can be forgiven in jesus name because he, like all good Muslims, taught from the time, from their small, that you can never know if your sins are forgiven. That one day we'll stand before God and our good works will be put on one side of the scales and our bad works on the other side of the scales. So you better work real hard at accumulating all those good works because you never know if you've done enough. So pray five times a day. Fast one month a year go to Mecca and keep trying to add more and more things onto that good skill because you can never know if you're forgiven. And as Jamshed read that verse, this is what happened. God wrote that on his heart. God put it in his mind that he understood what that meant for his life. Because believe me, I have read that passage with many Muslims. You know what the next thing out of their mouth is? How can I get a visa to America? You know, can you loan me some money? because I, you know, th- This is what they're really thinking about. And it takes a supernatural act of God for them to understand what the significance of that word is. And that is the new covenant. God taking his word and writing it on their heart, putting it into their mind. And John said that night, placed his faith in Jesus Christ. And that is what we get to declare to the Muslims. So, uh, oh, yeah, that's okay. We'll leave it there. We'll get to that in a second Uh, because the next part of the verse we are looking at in verse 15 was we're to declare this covenant for a 1,000 generations. Well, in the time of David, uh, people estimate that a generation was 30 or 40 years. Okay? So if you do the math, a thousand generations, well, that's 30 or 40,000 years. Okay, so, so what was David saying there? Basically, throughout all of time of human history, God wants his covenant to be remembered. Throughout all of human history, this is what God wants to be known on earth. Isn't this amazing that the creator of the heavens and the earth the Lord God Almighty, Yahweh, the one and only God, has come down and he said, I'm willing to make a contract with human beings. And this contract will last throughout all of human history. You know, if you're a great sports player, you might might wish to get a five-year contract, a 10-year contract. Maybe if you're really good at your job, you have a lifelong contract. God is saying, for as long as human beings are around, I'm willing to come under contract with the human race. That if they will trust in me, I will forgive their sins. This is our amazing God that he is willing to do this. But here's an important point. Now, is this just for for the Jewish people, for a thousand generations. Well, is he talking about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then, you know, down a thousand line? And what is so curious about this passage, as we read it, if you think about it, is David, again, a thousand years before Jesus, I believe through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, spoke better than he really knew or understood. Because David is saying, now this isn't just for the Jewish people, look at it in verse 23 and 24 here. Uh, he says, sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples, all the nations, all the peoples. Even at the time of David, we're seeing this pulse, pulsing force of, this isn't just for all generations in a linea- lineage of the Jewish people, this is for every people group, as we say in modern missions, every people group on the planet at all times. And and this is the heart of modern missions, that it's meant to go on for all of human history, but it's meant to spread through every people on the planet. And I, one of my privileges in coming here today, working among Muslims, is, is to report that, that God is doing this in a special way among Muslims today. Uh, even on our own team in the past three years, uh, we have seen 114 groups started in seven villages in Tajikistan. In those groups, 134 people have made professions of faith in Jesus And of those, 50 have been bold enough to get baptized. That is astounding work, unlike that I've seen in my previous 22 years on the field. But this is just a small part of it. There are books out there that you can read, A Wind in the House of Islam, Too Many to Jail, which chronicle the work of the gospel and church planning among Muslims in Africa, places like Cote d'Ivoire, And uh, Kenya, Ethiopia, Iran, India, Indonesia. And these sort of stories chronicle how there has been more spread of the gospel and church planning in the first 20 years of the 21st century, or we could say the 21st century, than in the 1,400 years of history of uh, Islam before then. So Islam started in 622 AD, as uh, Muhammad went from Medina to Mecca, and, and since then, there have been efforts of taking the gospel to Muslims, but it's been a slow, hard work. But as these people chronicle in these stories, in the past 20 years, the awakening that we've seen among Muslims is truly tremendous it would be like if you lived with a, a passionate desire for 70 years. Maybe this is true for some of you. For 70 years, you have prayed for someone. 70 years, you prayed for the salvation of someone. Or for something to happen, and you haven't seen it. But in this next year, you see it. That is what it's like with missions among Muslims. For 1,400 years, the church cried out, God, Pour out your spirit upon these people that they would turn to Christ. And what we're seeing happen in these regions is that is going on today. Now, I too live with this. For the 22 years that we've been in Central Asia, I have many goals and desires that are unmet, and I keep praying, God, bring them. But that's what gives me hope, that it can take years, it can take decades It can take 1,400 years, but this prophetic word of David will be fulfilled. All the nations will sing praise to the King of Kings, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we live with that, and we, we pray with that, we struggle with that, and we work towards it by spreading the covenant from one generation to the next. And I want to say that this isn't just biological growth. So here's a chart with just a generic family, the grandparents. There are three kids that are married and have grandkids. Generally speaking, such an ideal family will take 60 to 70 years. (laughs) That's a long time for three generations. Okay, That's not all that we long to see. What we want to see hit it twice. Can I go back one? Is viral reproduction a thousand generations very fast? So the past two years, we've all gotten uh, an advanced study and, and education in what viral reproduction looks like. And I believe part of God's purpose of setting the pandemic is for believers to come alive with this realization that this is really possible. Can you think of any area of our society that hasn't been impacted by COVID-19 in the past two years? Everything has been touched in some way, whether you like it or not, because of viral reproduction. This little cell that started somewhere and started multiplying, and it has truly impacted the entire globe. And again, this is what I'm I'm talking about. We're not just talking about biological reproduction where I'm teaching my sons how to uh, start a fire and then they teach their sons and so on and so forth. We're talking about where it spreads rapidly among all peoples in a thousand generations in two years or less. So David might ask the question and, you know, how does this covenant spread so that all peoples would come to praise God? We might ask that question of David. Well, I think we received an answer in Jesus much more fully. We, of course, know the Great Commission, where Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So, so there's Jesus laying out the, the plan, the process of how we're involved in this sort of reproduction. But he also taught parables, which I think highlight this. So on the next slide, I'll let you move that, uh, is Matthew 13. And uh, here, what Jesus taught in this parable, this short little parable, verse 33, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour, till it was all leavened. Well, if I were to uh, translate that into uh, my understanding of modern English is that uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a woman that put yeast in 50 pounds of flour. So, you know, you you take the yeast, which is a microscopic fungus, You put it in warm water and some sugar. You mix that up, and then you knead that into 50 pounds. I mean, 50 pounds, that's like a sack the size of this podium. And you're kneading in this yeast. And and what happens there? That is a living organism that, as it feeds off of the uh, flour and sugar, it is reproducing. And every living cell of that yeast is reproducing and as it reacts with all that flour, it gives off the gas and that's what causes the dough to rise. It's an amazing process. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, 2,000 years ago taught this parable of viral reproduction. Every living cell reproducing. Go and make disciples of all nations. That's not just for some special class of people, for some special group that goes forth. He combines it with this parable and other parables like this. The kingdom of God is like yeast put into flour that creates a dough where every living cell is reproducing. Three key ideas I want you to get out of this. One, it starts small. That yeast is just a a small, tiny component of what you put into that 50 pounds. But every living cell among that yeast multiplies from one cell to a next to a thousand generations. And the result is that every single part of that dough is impacted by that. The dough is changed the dough is changed. It's not that like, a oh, one pound of that flour gets changed and the rest just remains the same. If that's the case, then you don't have good bread. The whole point is that yeast spreads until every sector of that dough is impacted by it. It's pervasive influence. And that's what God wants in our world, that the kingdom of God would spread until it impacts every part of our world, just like COVID has in the past two years. Perhaps you don't think that could ever happen. I was just listening to a podcast that just made me think of this. This woman was uh, naming a statistic about a trend, and and she was saying, I can't imagine anything that would happen in the future that would uh, reverse this trend. (laughs) <laughs> and she said that like in January 2020, and then the pandemic hit, and of course the trend's been reversed. We can't imagine what it would be like. I can't imagine anything that would transform American culture. I can't imagine anything that would truly change Tajikistan, and Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. It pervades and pervades and multiplies and multiplies until everything has changed. Praise the, Praise the Lord. And just like COVID has done in ways that we might not have liked, but we have to accept, that is what the kingdom of God will do. Muslims might not like it. Buddhists might not like it. Others might not like it. But Jesus has promised this will happen. In Tajikistan, there is so much depression in, in, in the cities, in the villages, because people live with the sense of hopelessness, of fatalism. Again, just like Jamshed, I I don't know if I can ever do enough good works to actually be accepted by God, never hearing that God would love them, even in their sins. But Jesus said, I want my light to go there, to pervade every town and village of Tajikistan. Can you imagine a a village where more than 50% of the men travel to Russia to work as migrant workers, and a pandemic hits, all the borders are closed for 18 months? There's no government subsidies. There's no checks. I know households where four men uh, have families with over 20 kids, all four of them would work in Russia, and for 18 months, they're cut off. The desperate despair of poverty, and yet God has promised, I am a father who will take care of you. For that promise to truly pervade their souls, what that does in the midst of this poverty We talked about the hopeless hell of domestic abuse in Tajikistan. 90% of women are abused there in some way or form. It's just expected. And you walk into marriage with that expectation. But there is a loving and caring Savior who said, I will take care of you. I will watch over you. That is what God wants to see happen. In the transformation of the culture of Tajikistan and in our own world. Well, what is our involvement? First and foremost is prayer. Because it is a supernatural act of God, just like what John said, that he would write it on the hearts. But secondly, it's the simple act of making disciples. That is what he has called us to do. Go and make disciples. None of us will live long enough to see a thousand generations. What we pass on to our kids, our hope is that they pass it on to their kids. Not that they bring their kids to us to teach the grandkids and the great grandkids. No. We pass it on to them that they would teach it to the next generation. Well, in a similar way, we cannot imagine how passing on the gospel horizontally in sharing the gospel with our neighbors and our friends and our families could actually impact the world. But that is what God has shown us through COVID, that it's all connected. (laughs) And what you pass on to one other person will eventually reach to the ends of the world. And so we live with that. 2 Timothy 2.2, I hope you have this verse memorized. Paul said to Timothy, What I have taught you in front of many witnesses, Timothy, you go find reliable men and women and teach them so that they can train others. I love that. We we talk about how that's four generations right there in one verse. There's Paul, and in front of a group of people, he taught Timothy some things. And then he said to Timothy, you go find reliable men and women to teach it to so they can teach others. Notice what Paul did not say. He did not say, Timothy, you know, I am the anointed apostle and teacher, so whatever I told you, go, go find some other people and gather them to me so I can teach them so they can go find other people to gather to me. No. He said, pass it on. I trust you, Timothy. What I passed on to you, you pass on to other people and do it in such a way that they can pass it on to others. And that is how we reach a thousand generations. By one disciple at a time. Well, in closing, I want to share the story of a woman named Nika because it demonstrates this in amazing ways. She uh, lived in a village. Her husband uh, was studying the Bible with one of our national church uh, planning partners, a man named Sherzah. So Sherzart and her husband were studying the Bible, and she would be, become really agitated. And she berated her husband and was saying, why are you studying the Bible? We're Muslims. We should be learning about Muhammad. Why are you learning about Jesus? And one time she became so agitated that Sherzah and her husband understood that, okay, this isn't just Nika. There's like evil forces at play here and Sherzalt prayed and prayed for her until she calmed down well he left but the demons didn't leave Nika and she continued to be harassed by these demons to the point where she went to a local religious teacher they call him Mullahs and he uh, did some things to try to help her but at the end basically said listen I can't help you these demons are too powerful for me just go home I can't do anything for you so her husband said, well, Nika, if you remember, Sherzalt was able to help you. Why don't we call him again? And she's like, no, he's a Christian. Why would, I call? Why would we call him? And she remained adamant uh, in her opposition to this. But one night, she had a dream. And in this dream, there was a bright light shining from behind her. She turned around, and she knew instantly it was Jesus. Jesus reached out her hand, touched her on the forehead, and said, Nika, be at peace, you're delivered. Well, as you can imagine, when she woke up, she was ready to call Jamshed. Or not Jamshed, Sherzot. And Sherzot and came, and they started to study the Bible together, reading from creation, through the stories of the prophets, through Jesus, and she came to understand God's way of salvation through Jesus Christ, and she was delivered from all those demons. And she went and started telling her neighbors, who had witnessed her life for years, about how Jesus was able to give her deliverance that the mullah wasn't able to do in any other ways that she had tried. Well, I ask us, what excites us most about this story? It might be the supernatural dream that comes and transforms her thinking, and that is amazing, and we need that, and and that is the access we have in prayer to the supernatural, and we need to be praying. But I am also excited about the fact that Nika learned a very simple way of understanding the gospel so that she could take it to her neighbors and share it with them. Because that is how the gospel spreads from one person to the next and to the next. So the neighbor knows, okay, so here are our stories of the Bible. And as as I learn them from you, I can teach them to others. So in application, some questions for you to consider. Who is a person you're discipling right now? And when I, when I ask this, I'm not talking about esoteric theology or deep books you might read. I'm talking about simple skills. Uh, when I was in college, I was deeply impacted by a student ministry called the Navigators. You might have heard of them. And I remember one very simple diagram. So this was, uh, oh, how many decades ago? Uh, called the Wheel. And at the center was the power source, Jesus Christ, the, uh, the, the axle. And then the spokes coming out of that, you had the vertical spoke of prayer. You had the other vertical spoke of God's word speaking into our lives. You had the horizontal spoke of sharing the gospel with your friends and family. And the other horizontal spoke of the church. And then you had where the rubber meets the road, which was obedience, and I still remember that. And in each one of those, there were simple skills. How do you connect with Jesus? How do you pray? How do you study the Bible for yourself? How do you get along with other people at church? How do you share the gospel with your friends and family? Simple skills that pat- were passed on to me so I could pass them on to others. And the point is, we should all have these things in our lives, and we should be thinking, what is so important that I'm passing it on to the next generation. And that might be our kids. It might be our grandkids. It might be our neighbors or our friends. But who are you discipling and what, are you, what skill are you passing on? What habit are you passing on to them right now? And then finally, a call to prayer for us and for missions. Again, this is a supernatural work. God is doing a great work among Muslims and we should rejoice in that. But there is so much more that he wants to do in our own ministry. I would invite you, uh, we have a display downstairs. If you want to learn more, you could sign up for our prayer newsletters to receive updates about how to pray for us. or so there are other missionaries supported by this church. I believe every single one of you should be intimately connected with at least one other missionary that you know their life and ministry enough that you can pray regularly for them, for this supernatural spark that is needed that only God can provide. So, I encourage you that God is doing this. That for a thousand generations, we we stand, we sit here in Mount Morris, Illinois, three thousand years after David brought the ark to Jerusalem. And we're still reading those words. I mean, that in itself is a miracle. If you just think about how God has done that for a thousand generations, it is going on. And he has promised it will continue to go on for a thousand generations. But I also call you to Jesus' call, go and make disciples, because that is how it goes on. Those who obey Jesus and go out and make disciples. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, I thank you, you've given us this great calling, this great ministry of making disciples, but we recognize, Jesus, that you, you have to do this. It is a supernatural thing, and I, I just pray right now for your spirit to come and move, and in each person in this room, you would bring someone to mind that they should be discipling. Maybe they already are discipling them. But if not, God, I pray that you would bring someone to mind, even now, as we're praying. And God, that you would bring to mind, what is that next step? What is that next step that we need to take with that disciple? The skill, the habit, whatever it might be, would you show us, God, so that we could see this sort of viral reproduction take place in our own families, in our own communities and in our nation and in the world as a whole. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.